Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Malachim Aleph, Perak Yudala, Chapter 14. Vaitahi Chala Aviyam Ben Yorovam, Vayom Yorovam Ishto Kumina Vishtanit. Belo ye do kiateshetiravam, Valach shilo hinesha machiah nabi, who diber alai the melech alha amaze. Yoravam's son is sick. They're very worried about him. He tells his wife, Go get dressed up, uh, so they won't know you do, you're my wife. Go and visit the prophets. Go visit the prophet who appointed me as king. And off she goes. We find, incidentally, that the, the prophet is blind, and therefore the 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 masquerade is out of place, and the minute she comes, uh, he says, Bo yeshet Yoravam, lama Come, O wife of Yoravam, why are you hiding? Why are you dressed up? kasha. I've got terrible news for you. Why did Yoravam send his wife? Why didn't he go himself? So here's a few possibilities. First, kings always work with delegates, servants, officials, and therefore to send a messenger as a king is very natural. But I think there's an additional reason. Yeruvam knows he was appointed by Achia from Shiloh, Achia Shiloni. He knows he's a true prophet. But Yeruvam also knows that he, Yeruvam, has stepped beyond his mandate. Yeruvam has created a whole religious infrastructure illicit temples in Dan and Beit El with golden calves. He knows that the prophet will not be happy with him, and therefore he sends his wife, hoping that the prophet will see a poor, desperate woman, merely worried for the life of her dear son, and he won't see the wife of the king, that she won't be identified by his assistants and courtiers, and, 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 and therefore she can escape with a blessing rather than a curse. This is not the only time that people try and and hide their identity. Uh, Almost like, I don't know, Yaakov trying to get the bracha from Yitzchak, pretending that he's Esav. He he figures that if she can go dressed up and come home with a bracha, that will do the trick. But, you know, this story reminds us of other instances in which a person tries to hide from God. And the classic example I'm thinking about is Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden, where they try and hide that they've sinned, they've eaten from the tree that they weren't meant to eat from. And what does God say to them? Ayeka, right? He says to them, you know, Mihi ata. Who, Why are you hiding? Who told you that you're naked? Likewise here, there's, there's a great irony. The prophet is blind, and yet he can see more than the eye can see. He knows who she is, because he has this sixth sense, he has prophecy. You can't, and maybe this is the first really significant message here, you can't escape the word of God. You can't escape the watching eye of Hashem. And you can try and dress up and hide all you like, but there's nowhere to hide. Now in Sefer Malachim, this is, this is the first of four stories of kings who go to prophets in a situation of uh, mortal danger, in a situation of sickness. This is the first story, Yeruvam's wife, 
trying to get the prophet, you know, escape with a blessing uh, for her son. In Malachim Bet, in chapter 1, we see King Ahaziahu, who goes actually not to seek Hashem, but in, indeed to seek a foreign deity, an idolatrous deity, Balzvuv, and he sends his messengers saying, when am I going to be recovered from my sickness? In Malachim Bet, chapter 8, a foreign king, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, meets Elisha, or sends his messenger to meet Elisha, with a message, Now, in both of those cases, the king is sick, so he has to send delegates. And the last time is in chapter 20 of Malachim Bet, where Ishayahu goes to Chizkiyahu and tells him that he's going to die. Now, in each time, uh, there's a negative prognosis. Yorofam's wife, her son's going to die. The same with Achaziah, the same with Ben-Hadad, the same with Chizkiyahu. But as with many stories in the Tanakh, the idea of a, a pattern of three and then a fourth story which changes or shatters that pattern, with Chizkiyahu in, in, in Malachim Bet, Perak Chaf, it's different. Chizkiyahu actually prays. He prays to God and he earns a reprieve. God says to him, I will give you 15 years more on your life. So what can we say about this? Judaism, I'd say, is a religion not of fate, but of destiny. You don't go to the prophet in order to learn of your fate. You, you, the encounter with the prophet is meant to be an encounter which changes you. If I go back to the Garden of Eden, when God approaches Adam and Eve to say Ayeka, and he says, Who told you that you're naked? He's actually prompting Adam and Chava to confess, to admit, to embark on a path of tshuva. They don't do this. In fact, uh, Adam blames Chava, and Chava blames the snake, and everybody shifts the blame. They do the opposite of, of, we, of, of what we do in tshuva, where we confess our sins. But tshuva is a path which is meant to change the person, and when the person changes, you can alter and adjust your future. Not fate, but destiny. Tshuva is a means of, how should I say it, using the present moment to reflect and examine the past and therefore adjust and alter your future. And here I find it interesting, this notion of the delegate delegates, because the only instance in which a monarch actually encounters the prophet, and not by means of a delegate, not by means of a messenger, is in fact Chizkiyahu. Uh, apparently, if you really want to experience the life-changing encounter, you have to meet the prophet yourself. You can't send a courtier or your wife. Only when you personally encounter the prophet do you have the chance and the opportunity to say, Chatati. Uh, in, in our last chapter, chapter 13, God sent an emissary, an Ish Elohim, to Yeravam, urging him to repent and backtrack, and he didn't. And therefore now, with Eshet Yeravam, all that is left is to condemn him. And I have to say that this scene of Yeravam's wife uh, going home is one of the most uh, painful and excruciating journeys I know in Tanakh because she's told here that uh, the minute she goes home, go home, the minute you get home, the child is going to die. She knows the baby will die the minute she goes home. She can't go home because he'll die. She cannot not go home. She's got to go back to her child. This is really exceptionally 
excruciating and the minute she gets back to the palace in Tirza, he She walks through the the door the doorway, mate. Terrible uh, situation where the child is dead. Let me just say a word about the condemning language which the prophet uses. He uses some some language which is going to be repeated over and over in this book. In chapter 14, verse 10, I will bring destruction on the house of Yerobam. This language of, I will wipe out from Jeroboam everyone who urinates on the wall, every free and bonded in Israel, is a very, very crude language. Uh, this language also, verse 11, Whoever dies to Yerobam in the city, the dogs will eat, and whoever dies in the fields, the birds will eat. This language is going to be formulaic language. I'll talk more about formulas in next class, but it's formulaic language. The same is going to the same condemnation which we hear for Yerobam, the same language is going to be used for the house of Baasha. The same language is going to be used for the house of Achav. The same is going to be used for the language for the house of Yehu. This is going to be the formulaic language which says that when the kings of Israel, the kings of the northern kingdom, have not lived up to their legacy, they haven't lived up to the covenant, then indeed they will be wiped out totally. And one last thing, this phrase, Atzur ba'azuv b'Yisrael, is language which is lifted out of Shirat HaAzinu, the Efes Atzur Azuv. We frequently find, uh, even in the speeches of God to Shlomo, uh, like in Malachim Aleph, Perak, Tet, we find examples where phrases are used from um, Sefer Devarim. And uh, frequently Devarim, which is such a covenantal book, these language, this language resurges, comes back, in Malachim, where Malachim is really trying to tell us that all of these statements of condemnation of kings is simply because they have not been loyal to the covenant. The usage of the language from Sefer Devarim says this was always this was always there. This covenant was written centuries ago. It was in the Torah. It was given by Moshe. The rules of the game were clear. All you have to do is keep loyal to the covenant, keep loyal to the laws of the Torah, and you will prosper and you will succeed and you will, you know, the, the country will, will, will be fabulous. But you haven't done that. You've allowed yourself to diverge from the covenant and therefore you are going to suffer demise and ruin. The covenant is alive. The covenant are the terms and conditions. You have abrogated it. And this exact same lines are going to re- return over and over for each of the errant kings of the north. Uh, As we read through the chapters, I hope you'll be able to identify these lines. That's it for today. See you tomorrow.